Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Dominic Frisby and this week we bring you part two of our chat with Jason Gibb of Bread and Jam, the UK's biggest food founders festival. And in the episode we hear Jason talk about his views on how big business needs to change from within to help drive more sustainable development goals and help tackle climate change. He gives examples of where he's seeing this change take place and equally highlights where more of it needs to happen. Are business growth and ethics able to coexist? Are companies doing enough to make this planet a better place? Is Amazon to blame for it all? It's all up for debate. Welcome to Changing Industries. If there's one thing in the world you could change over the next five years, what would it be with your magic wand? I think, I mean, maybe it's obvious now, but I'm very worried about the kind of climate crisis. I think we're pretty screwed. But what the pandemic has obviously proven is that if we collectively pull together, we can achieve remarkable things. So I suppose the thing that I would change is that we really focus on solving this problem. It's very solvable. We got the technology or we got the money to put into the technology. So I hope that we can we can do something about that and um, learn to kind of live in a slightly more sustainable way. Does the, you know, to me, there's, unless aliens come and land on the earth, the climate problem is the only common problem that the whole world faces. So it is the key for me, like, like I, I, when, when people try and argue about, you know, it's always very short term, it seems, we think in, and, you know, what should happen in the next 20 years. I feel like we should sort of say, well, do we all agree in 500 years that we don't want poverty and we don't want borders and we all want to, you know, live in peace? I'm not saying you shouldn't get rid of culture in different countries. Absolutely, that makes the world interesting. But, you know, free movement of people, free all of this. I mean, I don't know whether you'd get everyone to agree with it, but it's a similar thing with the climate. It's like, we definitely all should agree that we don't want the climate change. My concern is, though, in that geo-world politics is, is, is in the interests of some people almost. You know, I'm, I understand Canada and Russia will theoretically gain out of the climate crisis. Their lands will become more valuable. Mm. You know, the weather will be nice there mm. or warmish. And I don't know, are you, are you overall an optimist or are you pessimist about our ability to pull together, you know? Good question. I try and make myself an optimist, but I am pessimistic. You are worried. Yeah, I, I am worried. And I have to, sometimes I have to check out from it because it's just like too overwhelming. What do you think about Bill Hicks' point of view? I think it was Bill Hicks or someone who said, uh, you know, save the planet. And he's like, the, the planet's fine. We're planet. fucked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That That's one thing I do kind of cling on to. I kind of think that the um, the planet will totally survive. But what the pessimist in me kind of visualizes is, is our kids' lives and how mm. tough it's going to be for them. I think we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. Well, I'm a bit older than you, so... I'll be fine. But I just kind of, you know, if I start down that path, I really get quite worried. But I think, you know, I think like like I said, the pandemic has shown we can we can turn things around. And look at these businesses you're talking about. I mean, you know, exclude you know, my 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 sense and, and part of the reason I guess we do this podcast is, you know, most of my friends are I don't know, musicians and very left wing and everything. And they, a lot of them have an attitude that, you know, business is bad. And I'm like, listen, I spent, I've spent the last 20 years meeting businessmen and I've rarely met a bad one. You know, you meet the odd dodgy bastard, but most people incredibly caring, care about their workforce, trying to do something. But isn't that, isn't that the key to all of this? I mean, you've just given examples of a business that could get big and not turn into a bunch of bastards. So that's sort of the key, isn't it? Scale 
and ethics, you know, and that's possible now, I think we all think. I don't know if you know much about like how uh, BlackRock invested in Oatly, for example. There's a lot of, yeah, yeah so, you know, they, they, they've got a terrible history of investing in kind of fossil fuels and stuff like that. They invested in Oatly, this kind of very fast growing plant-based Swedish, milk yeah. business, which is, you know, exploded and, you know, worth billions now. And a lot of people were very angry with, Oatly for kind of taking their their money, these these bad guys' money. But ultimately, Oatly stopped them investing in, you know, some oil field yes, somewhere. Yes, quite right. And if these money makers are seeing that the opportunity is in plant-based milk, then that's great. And your prob- the problem with the growth conversation is if you don't tell an investor it's going to grow, then there's no point in investing. But I agree with you, growth, like... That, that the whole argument when they really break it down is for us, it's sustainability is about us getting off this addiction to growth, you know, isn't it? And it's quite hard to dismantle that from an investing point it of is, view. It is, it is, it is, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if I've got it quite sorted out in my own mind how, that, how that's going to pan out. Because I know, I know we have to consume less. Yeah. And you know, it's amazing. It wasn't that long ago that we were. I mean, yeah. you, I, you say um, you're, you're old me. I bet we're not, you know, I grew up in that generation. It was suddenly one use, disposable. It was yeah. all like, oh, that's, yeah. that's the way forward, you know. And they would, you, you know, they, you look at what the post-war generation, my father's generation, they were incredibly careful about what they used yeah. and everything yeah. was reused. And, you know, it's coming though. And I think there are a lot of commercial opportunities there. I think the high street should be filled with like repair shops and things like that. That's a great thought, yeah. Our clothes, we need to reuse them. We need to fix our washing machines and we need to, you know, there's huge enterprise in that. I was reading a a thing the other day about people used, and and this is within, you know, probably our parents' memory. But now every time we walk the dog, you know, and the dog does a poo, you pick up the poo and you wrap it in a bit of plastic. So suddenly what would decompose in three or four days, just becomes something that's not going to decompose for, I don't know how long it takes for a plastic bag to decompose, 50 years or whatever it is. A generation and a half ago, there used to be people who would go around the streets and pick up the dog shit and take the dog shit to the tanning places because they use the dog shit for tanning. Right. And like the most environmentally efficient place in the world is this slum of Mumbai called Daravi, where there's literally no government at all. And um, nothing gets wasted in Daravi. And you get people who walk, and it was actually founded on a rubbish dump. And you get people walking around the rubbish dump and anything they can find that they can somehow turn to profit. Well, it is in India. It's a, it's a slum of Mumbai, which is the most wasteful city in India, apparently. But the, the point being is that people will do stuff if there's some kind of profit in it. And everyone goes, profit's evil. And, you know, profit means different things to different people. But as long as it's cheaper to buy a new T-shirt than it is to get your existing T-shirt repaired, and it, and that's cheaper in terms of sewing it up and also just buying it, as, as long as that incentive's there, people are just going to buy the new T-shirt rather than get the old one repaired. It's um, it's very confusing. Is it, and if you think how complicated it is, it's, it's, it, recycling's the easiest answer to that. It's like, everyone recycle. Oh, don't recycle. Yeah, but it oh, has recycle. to happen. That you, know? it, it can, you can't just sort of mandate it. No. Like, you know, um, my grandparents were much better recyclers than we are. They recycled everything because they grew up in the war and you had nothing and you just yeah, learned yeah. to do it. And 
yet now, like it sort of comes by government mandate, you must do this and you must do that. And everyone ends up doing it less because it's like a, and, and, and I'm sure half the stuff that gets recycled just gets, it just gets sent to Indonesia or wherever, and then it just gets dumped there. So there, actually in the food wells, there's some really cool legislation coming in. There's the yeah, deposit scheme. I mean, food scheme. waste is terrible at the moment. They, I'm, yeah. Hopefully they sort it out. Um, well, it's not, there's, there's the bottle deposit scheme where you have to like, uh, pay a deposit for your plastic bottles. Uh, there's also new legislation coming in that all, um, there's going to be a tax unless your plastic bottles are like, or plastic packaging is, it's got to be 30% recycled. Uh, and in terms of the kind of recycling issue that you're talking about, for years we've had all this like, from one council to another, it's completely different like rules and regulations about, you know, what you separate here and, you know, food waste here and this, that and the other. Finally, they're unifying it across the whole country mm. and there's going to be a much better infrastructure, especially as like people like Coca-Cola have to put in 30% recycled plastic into all their products. So they're going to, now that there's the demand there, there's going to be a boom in recycling. Yeah, I mean, so, charging people 5p for plastic bags has saved like, I, I think isn't it it's like 500 million plastic bags a year or something that's saved. But it goes to show these little nudges can really have a profound impact. Yeah. And now a quick word from our sponsor. At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy to read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts. Dominic Frisby sat down with Andy Ori and Mike Darby to talk about online cloud accounting. I think the base point is that you put stuff in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere at any time on your mobile phone, at your computer, at your desk. Why have it fixed to a location? It's a huge advantage to put stuff in the cloud. It means that a small mobile phone with a browser can have the computing power of an enterprise system anywhere in the world. What it then is leading to is information is becoming real-time, is being entered as you go, not historically. And then the third thing that you're talking about is that as you get into that position, that anyone can plug into it, anyone can see this data, anyone can access this data, and this data is real-time. The revenue want to tax it, and the revenue want to access it. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now, back to the chat. I mean, the thing at the moment, I mean, you got the cop, cop in the news and all of that, and then the next news item is... OPEC have just agreed to increase oil production. You know, you're just like, you sit there and then it's like, why? Because, because America's going to spend six trillion rebuilding their country and they need all this stuff. A bit, the, one of the things is definitely like globalization, okay, make everything in China. Well, it reminds me when we talk about fixing stuff, the problem with making everything in China is it's not efficient to then send it back to get it fixed. You can't get anything fixed. Nespresso, my Nespresso, terribly posh, 10-year-old Nespresso uh, machine broke. And there is a place in the UK, I couldn't fucking believe it, that, that fixes and, man, you know, got a proper center. And I was like, great, sent my Nespresso machine. 
And it came back like so broken, it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, they <laughs> fucked it up because they said, oh, we can't fix it. I said, well, the coffee still works. The milk doesn't work. Send it back. I don't want a new one. It's, and it just annoyed me. Like, I'm not even that, you know, good at my sustainability or math, but it's just seemed ridiculous. But this, this is another, machine. this is more legislation that's coming through. It is happening. So I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but you can't kind of make your products purposely obsolete anymore. Okay, there's um, actually it's uh, a friend of one of the producers of this show. His 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 wife, she does something called Buy Me Once which is worth right. checking out. Which is a oh, cool. it's such a cool ethical brand because it's 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 a win win win. It's like consumers want long lasting products. We research, so you know they started with. Um, what are those wonderful um, things you cook in um, uh, from France? Um, um, Le Creuset. Le Creuset. So it started, she bought a Le Creuset and she said, it lasts, well, it lasts forever, you know? You know, it's made of steel with ceramic. My wife's just taken over our kitchen with Le Creuset and she keeps stroking them and hugging them. And <laughs> I've never seen her happier, to be honest, other than when we got the dining table. But anyway, um, but yeah. So then they research products that are made with the least obsolescence in them, Great. you know, made to yeah, be, yeah. and you think, fucking hallelujah. Because yeah, 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 yeah. At the moment, I mean, it's like a deal with the devil, like Amazon, you know, doing this deal with China, like, right, we'll do the website, you make the crap. Let's pump everyone's home full of crap. <laughs> it's fucking it's hilarious. True. And we're just literally like, doesn't make any sense, but I don't know, I'm trying to stop buying stuff on Amazon, but... As you've said rightly on this, but it's a fucking amazing country. It's really so easy, good. but they fucked our whole high street. I yeah. blame Amazon. You know, they're not paying any tax. They've got a competitive advantage that is so unfair. Oh my God, they've been getting away with the tax rules. If you know anything about concept of permanent establishment, they've had to rewrite the rules because of Amazon because right. a, a warehouse was distinctly uh, cut out in the legislation as being a taxable enterprise. Right. They didn't really think this through when someone's in tarp. They never, when they wrote the rules, there was no business which was just warehouses, basically, you know. But the high street, I'm less romantic about the high street. I think the high street is going to become a much groovier place. I Like people say, we've got to save what it is. Don't save what it is. But I don't want crack converters and stuff. Like, let it evolve, you know. Let, let it, as you say, you, you know, make it fixing stuff. And The high streets have been shit and homogenous since about the 70s. I, I mean, Amazon's definitely beaten it to a pulp. Yeah. But the fact that every high street across yes. the country is kind of identical high streets. No, but it ruined the country. You go to a town in England and I'd find if I you know, had a bit of a hangover, I'd be like, what town am I in? Do you know what I mean? They're all identical, you know. It's Can I just tell you one other thing that I recently found out about Amazon and ASOS is that, you know, when you return something, that goes to landfill. Fuck I know. They don't, they don't even bother. It's not worth the... Fuck they don't No matter how valuable it is. No matter how valuable it is. Is done. I bought a table tennis. And again, tennis. they're just but changing wait, 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 legislation. We need, to, we need to intercept that landfill line because I've sent a few things. Well, even if they I just It's not worth it. the palaver of but sending it back. you just proved my point. It's not worth sending it back to yeah. China. It's just not fucking worth it. Just dump it. I bought a table tennis table on Amazon, right, that was advertised as an outdoor table tennis table. And then the table tennis table arrived. And of course, it's made of that stuff that you can't, that also hardwood would. or whatever it is that you can't put it outside because it expands. And I left it outside. And then they tried to say on the description, ah, oh, it's a table tennis, it's not, it's not an outdoor table tennis table. It's a table tennis table that you can put outdoors on sunny days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put on anyway, my it's such outdoor a total coat. bollocks thing. But anyway, it cost me like, I forget, 350, 400 quid or something like that. And I said, well, I'm, I'm returning it. And uh, they went, um, okay, we'll refund you the money, but it's not worth the, co the courier costs of the table tennis table. So can you just dispose of it? 
Wow, that has really upset me what you've just told me. That's like, it's but again, such... I think there's legislation coming through that's going to stop that. Because the reason I was told all the recycling goes to China is all the ships were turning up empty and we didn't have anything to sell to China other than the odd Land Rover, which was made somewhere else anyway. But, you know, so we filled it full of recycling, which they had an hilarious time with, you know, burning or whatever it was and saying, oh, oh don't worry, lads, we've got this under control. I mean, it's like, surely we could put the returns in the, in the freaking... Anyway, and it's so ridiculous, but why do you have ethics? Why do you give a shit? I mean, we're, we're all just a reflection of our parents, aren't we? Aren't we? I was hippie parents. I was going to ask. Uh, I wonder if your parents saw My mum was a professional clown. Fuck uh, off, really? Yeah, yeah. That's the best job in the world. She was man. the first female uh, allowed into the magic circle. And she was a, yeah, a female performer, performer around the world. It's That's so unusual. fucking embarrassing when you're a child with a mum who's got multicoloured hair and wears clown suits it's all the time. more embarrassing when your dad's an accountant, trust me. My mum used to <laughs> tell everyone I used to pretend that. she was an accountant. <laughs> 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 okay. No, that, I, I was just curious because I feel it's, you know, it, of course you could have an, ex, you, you've got to have an experience or come from a world where you sort of give a shit. Do you know what I mean? In some ways. And, and I'm not saying that people don't give a shit, but I'm saying it's quite, it's quite hard to when you're brainwashed and social conditioning is like, vegan is a great example of social conditioning. You know, up until recently, everyone was like, what, what, what do you mean vegan? Like it sort of blew people's brains. I mean, you know, a friend became vegan and it was like, everyone was like, oh, you've given up alcohol. And he was like, what? What's that got to do with it? Like, I don't understand. Why does everyone think I've given up booze? And it's like, oh yeah, but you're in that box now. You know right. what I mean? It's sort yeah. of, um, yeah. So it's social conditioning has such an enormous impact. So if we grew up, I grew up in the eighties and it was all disposable, disposable, disposable. It's hard to shake that off because it's sort of, you know, that's the, you know, the awareness isn't there. You're being taught this is okay. You know what I'm trying to express? I, I do. You, the kind of loads of money type... Uh... Thatcher years of kind yeah. of... Yeah, well, it was... I, I'm not even sure I'd, I'd pin it on anyone particularly. Just the 80s, we just kind of worked out we could make things yeah. cheaper and throw them away. Uh, uh, but but you know what? That's that's one thing that drives me because I think we've... It's been on our watch that everything's gone bad and it's and we're the ones who've really benefited from it. Yeah. And our kids are going to have to suck it up in the future. Yeah. And that makes me feel guilty enough to kind of want to, you know, do what I can. So there you have it. That was this week's extended episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Jason Gibb for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at bizwithoutbs, where you'll find more useful business content. Until next time, it's cheerio. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at oriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com or via our website. Ori Clark. You provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.